Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Adnan Shafi, and again, welcome to Pariah Nation. We're going to come to the close of this season next episode. So this is going to be our second last episode of the whole season. And today we have a very, very special guest, Gibson Mulene. <laughs> Introduce yourself just very briefly. Yeah. Um, hello, guys. Um, my name is Gibson. Um, yeah, so um, I'm Kenyan. And I'm a software developer, so yeah, thank you guys for having me in the show. Yeah, thank you so much again for coming through, Gibson. And um, today it's going to be a very unique conversation because we're not necessarily going to just be delving into Gibson's story, but we're going to be discussing a lot about the tech uh, industry and how that's actually going to be affecting business in the next decade or so. So first of all, I mean, you're a developer. Just name a few things that you've seen in the tech world that are up and coming that have managed to somehow sneak themselves into business? Is tech the new form of business? How is it going to affect business in the next yeah. decade or so? That's a very interesting question. Um, first and foremost, because uh, most of the tech um, advancements that are actually happening right now, these are things that 20 years ago were not seen. And a lot of them were not seen as being able to be achieved actually in this decade. Um, when you think about technologies like the Bitcoin, you know, the, the blockchain technology, mm. you know, things like cryptocurrencies, things that no one actually thought would be adapted. And mm. you're looking at, you know, cryptocurrencies with a market capitalization of around $217 billion, which is a huge market cap when you think of it for a currency that everyone thought, you know, it's a scam, cryptocurrencies are not going to be accepted, but the world mm. is, you know, opening up and accepting these currencies. And now the question comes in, you know, how is this going to affect the future? You know, uh, we've always trusted paper because this is paper money has always been like the mm. big thing. But then all of a sudden we're introducing currencies that, you know, virtual currencies. And, you know, we're looking at a market that is going to be huge in the future. And if businesses don't jump in in these opportunities, they're really going to be left behind. You know, when mm. you think about technologies like, uh, you know, I'm sure. You know, people have heard of quantum computing, which is a, an industry that is being, that is very, very huge right mm. now. You know, Google just hit quantum supremacy uh, like a month or two months ago. Yeah. This is an achievement that most people never actually thought was going to be hit in, in the next seven, eight years, right? Yes. And yeah. such a speed, how is that going to affect businesses, you know, in the future? Most, oh, you can even think about businesses which are just selling laptops or even mm. businesses that have not yet thought of implementing such technologies, how is that mm. going to affect them, you know? And yeah. I'm thinking that in the very near future, a lot of things will be automated, you know? Mm. Uh, a very hot industry right now is, you know, the machine learning and, you know, AI, which I think should be yeah. an industry that people should look at because of the displacements of jobs that's going to happen. I would say that a lot of people have not taken, you know, a lot of people are not taking this industry very serious and businesses. And, you know, when you think about AI and how it's uh, automating businesses and, you know, a lot of people will be displaced, as I said, yeah. but a huge thing that, you know, something that is going to happen is the future of AI can only mean that a huge, a huge industry that is going to be growing very fast is yeah. the outsourcing industry. You know, mm. what is the point of me hiring people if I can outsource that from a company that offers AI industry, right? Mm. And as a business, if I don't think straight up, 10, looking at 10 to 11 years, it's going to get to a point where, you know, I as a business, if I'm not using this technology, no one is going to be using my services anymore because mm. AI has taken that out, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking this is something, this is a huge industry and technology is definitely going to affect businesses way more than people are taking it. Yeah, no, yeah. I definitely agree with you because, I mean, we're hearing crazy stories of um, lawyers starting to, or not even lawyers, law firms are starting to lose their contracts because why we're starting to see blockchain technology um, and we're just going to explain that briefly after answer yeah. um, uh, from Gibson's point of view, right? We're going to explain that after this. But blockchain technology is essentially, um, actually, before I answer this, it's better that Gibson <laughs> probably gives a bit of background. <laughs> so let's briefly explain what blockchain is for those who don't know it because it's so underground right now that yeah. probably no one's even heard of it. Yeah, I think uh, explaining blockchain would take a lot of time, <laughs> but I would say the best explanation of yeah. it is think about decentralized a decentralized ledger, you mm. know? You're used to centralized systems, right? When, when you go to a website, that website is definitely hosted in some central mm. server and all the information is hosted, you know, in one central server. But then we're thinking of a way in which we can decentralize all these and have everyone own a part, you know, of that server where people now can access different aspects of information from different people, meaning that, you know, we're looking at a system that is very secure, a system that is very, very transparent, right? Mm. And the whole point of a blockchain system is to ensure that there's transparency 
you know, in how we handle data to ensure there's a lot of security. Because, you know, in a scenario where a hacker, you know, maybe is able to, you know, get to a vulnerable server, they're able to get steal information from yeah. that, you know, to steal your information or even manipulate that information. But for a system like a blockchain system, you know, this system is decentralized in different parties around the world. And that can only mean that one alteration is not going to be, you know, it's not going to, it's it's definitely not going to affect the information because different parties host the same information. And that's why blockchain technology, you know, it's it's the next big thing because, you know, companies are just realizing the security that, you know, the blockchain offers, you know, and I just to mention things like uh, what you mentioned, things like smart contracts, you know, mm. it's a very, very hot industry right now because initially for you to do a contract, um, most of the pages, yes. multiple weeks, exactly. multiple lawyers. But it not took so all much automated. Time. It yeah. took so much time, you know. And mm-hmm. right now, and the problem with these contracts, you know, these contracts were mutable because, well, it's very easy for us to easily, uh, for a corrupt government, you know, mm-hmm. or for a corrupt contract, someone can easily edit the contract. And it's mm-hmm. very hard for you to even know when the contract was done and whether it was edited. Because it's 300 pages long. Exactly. Yeah, of course. Now, when you think about technologies like uh, smart contracts, which are offered mostly on the Ethereum blockchain, right, you look at a contract that is quickly implemented, the rules are set, and the contract mm. is immutable, you know? Mm. And that contract can, you know, it only operates under the rules of this chain, meaning it's very, very secure and cannot completely be edited. So what happens to lawyers who did, you know, years and years of law, and then all of a sudden businesses which have been utilizing these lawyers for a long time decide to jump on, you know, such technologies, which is definitely mm. cheaper, you know, smart contracts are cheaper. They just need a bunch of developers to develop these contracts. Mm. And then the contract between the companies you know, happen, right? So now the question comes in with, if this lawyer who's just been doing law, right? And all of a sudden companies start using smart contracts, what happens to their jobs? So mm. this is a very important thing to think about as a, as a lawyer or people in the law industry, because contracts can be applied to so many industries, you know, whether it's elections, whether it's, uh, you know, logistics, uh, mm. supply, supply chain management. These are specific things you have to think about in this industry. And these technologies are basically disrupting all these industries in a speed that we haven't seen since the, you know, the, since the invention of the internet. Yeah, I definitely think, um, especially now, it's starting to get into a lot of European countries and we're starting to see law firms like Deloitte moving into artificial, artificial intelligence and, um, you know, smart contracts. And I think that Deloitte, um, or just in general, businesses that are learning the ropes and they're able to adapt quickly. If you're in business and you're not adapting quickly, you're going to become irrelevant as quickly as this technology is becoming relevant in yeah. our daily lives. Because the fact of the matter is, is if you're uh, like you know, a very old law firm, right? You have very old partners, which is usually the case. Like you will never find, or like it's very, very rare for you to find, let's say a 30 year old being the main partner of a, of a law firm or like a 25 year old being the main partner at a law firm, right? If you guys have businesses that you're running and you know you're making you're making a contract for someone else and there's a lawyer involved, who are you going to pick from a smart contract that can get completed in 30 minutes with almost zero errors or a 300 page contract, right? The same kind of contract is getting done over the course of one month. It's being reviewed by several lawyers. There's obviously going to be human error sometimes, which might even lead to litigation. You're obviously gonna choose a smart contract. So, I mean, like, uh, we'll start to explore a bit more, but, like, um, what, what else is actually there apart from smart contracts that businesses might need to know about in the next decade or so? Yeah, um, I would say, I mean, right now we're seeing a huge uh, advantage. I mean, we're seeing, I mean, the blockchain industry is, is a very hot industry, they said, and a lot of people used to actually speculate that, you know, blockchain mm-hmm. has just come at a space where it's not going to be as uh, fastly accepted. And I would say that is because um, when the blockchain, uh, you know, the, the blockchain has been there since... Mm-hmm. Uh, too late when you know the, the Bitcoin blockchain was first invented with you know the whole Satoshi Nakamoto. For those who don't know, that is uh, Satoshi is believed to be uh, the creator of uh, you know of Bitcoin, uh, which was the first technology that uses uh, the blockchain technology. And initially, uh, blockchain was mostly used uh, for technologies. Uh, it was mostly used for you know cryptocurrencies and the financial sector. But now we we're seeing the blockchain industries and the power of blockchain being exploited in uh, you know things like supply chain management. Mm. You're seeing people being able to track things like you know containers or being try able to track specific things that are in transit using you know blockchain using the blockchain you know technologies. Right. Mm. We're also seeing companies are utilizing things like hyperledger 
services, which right now are just privatized blockchains that you know can easily be used to not only just cut the cost, but even increase the efficiency of the technology used by a specific company. So when you think about uh, two specific companies that are competing and why one and you know maybe they are in a very high cost of production industry. One company is utilizing a technology that significantly cuts the cost and means it's more likely to be more competitive than the other company, which is using the old means of doing the same thing. Mm. So, you know, some companies are likely to go out of business completely if they don't adapt as fast to this mm. technology, which is something that most people are not thinking about. You know, the other industry I would say that is huge right now is the AI industry. And mm. very few people are talking about it. You know, a very simple uh, example I would give is that of, you know, chat boxes and, you know, uh, these are using yeah. AI, you know, in responding to customer mm. service, right? Most most people before used to use actual people yeah. to respond to it, which is very high cost for a company that has, you know, a lot and a lot of requests from users and customers. However, if you integrate a chat box or you integrate an AI that can easily communicate, you significantly cut the cost, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, people are going to lose jobs, which is something that is likely to happen. But you become more competitive because you're cutting the cost, meaning that you have less, you have uh, less employees now. Who are only dealing with that mm. and that specifically means that businesses that are adapting to the new technologies are more likely to be more competitive in the future because well the cost of production is reduced the efficiency is increased and you know the rating you know the rating and the good publicity happens to them which is a which is a good thing and different forms of different technologies that are coming in right now not even just ai you know quantum computing is going to be a huge huge thing because mm -hmm. if you can solve quick mathematical equation not just in science but you know even in business it's literally literally going to help so many businesses to be able to you know you know things like customer data and management building mm. you know good systems and you know ai algorithms that can tell you information about customers and you can just easily market you know to the right customers i would yeah. say that is a huge huge industry i think perhaps um just in terms of structure wise i think maybe let's go into the discussion of cryptocurrency especially because it has to do with money right and let's let's evaluate the reasons why perhaps it hasn't been adopted or embraced by a lot of countries right especially now a lot of people are kind of confused right about how it fits in like yeah. how does blockchain even work and i'm quite proud to say that you're one of the people who are um i think it was you and jerry. a couple of jerry <laughs> uh kinga Kiyoi. Yeah, yeah. these these are amazing students that i went to school with that happened to uh have one of the first blockchain elections in africa right and that's that's something crazy people are like oh, but what's the difference but let's let's basically explain how that works and how blockchain can actually be beneficial especially to the African context, right? And why, again, it might not be implemented for that same reason that it's yeah. effective against corruption. So basically what will happen is that when you're voting, you're given a specific hash, which is like a code, and you log in with your email, right? And um, the main idea behind it is that you, all of you guys are connecting with the same server at the same time, right? If that's more or less the <laughs> idea, right? <laughs> if I hope I'm right. If I'm not, then Gibson will have to prove me wrong. But uh, the idea is it becomes very hard for someone to hack the elections because it's not like you're hacking one server. You have to hack every single person who's voting in that election, right? Yeah. Just explain. I don't think yeah. I got the first part right, but like just go. <laughs> yeah, on. I can uh, I can quickly explain that. So we we try to uh, decentralize the election process. So yes, uh, there's a very easy question of you know what is the difference, right? For a small school, why would you need to? You know, to do a whole blockchain election from a very small school where you don't expect anyone to mm. actually hack into it. But it's a very easy question because, you know, you're doing a proof of concept here. You're trying to actually understand what is the potential, you know, how, how can people apply this, this amazing technology in the elections? The first thing you have to think about is, well, for a country's election, one specific server can be hacked and information changed. We mm. have seen this in different countries, right? We have seen scenarios where in different countries, Hackers join into the actually get bypass the server and they just easily edit. And remember, information is coming from one specific source. So every single person is going to be seeing that information, right? So if that system is vulnerable, it is easily hacked and everyone gets the information that the hacker wants you to see. Mm. Now think about it from a perspective where we decentralize the servers, you say. We decide that instead of having information being held by one entity, why don't we have information being held by multiple entities? Right? We could have a thousand people or for a strong blockchain, a million people. Mm. Right? And every single time a transaction happens, the transaction could be transaction of money or could be a single vote. Every single person within that chain has to agree that this is a legit transaction. Mm. Different algorithms are built to ensure that. Once every single party agrees that this is a legit transaction, this transaction is added into a blockchain system, which is a public 
basically public system where everyone can see every single transaction and track it. If one hacker is able to access maybe one of those computers and change information, all the other people have, almost to, agree. have to agree. If they refuse, that transaction is not going to be added to the blockchain. Mm. So clearly, that hacker needs to have the computing power of hacking every single one of those, you know, mm-hmm. or every single one which of those people, impossible. which is almost impossible. It'll take you millions of years it to will take one of, exactly. hash. You know, it takes yeah. you a lot of time because of the security implemented in that. So well, for a small school, that may not seem as a big thing, but for a country's election, this is a huge thing because the security involved there is a very, very important thing because people really want to know, right? People want to know that the election we are holding here is legit, that we can actually build systems that assure us there's a transparency of what is actually happening. Mm-hmm. So yes, it's just one, but one, there's just one example of what exactly is happening. However, remember, for different, different countries and different governments, a lot of governments want to have control over this. But then when we look at blockchain, blockchain is not something where you can actually just control. It's a system that multiple people can join, right? Most mm. people can join to ensure that there's transparency and also security. But just being, as you say, in servers, which is the best way we can describe this. Mm. But governments want to try and restrict, you know, they want to try and restrict this election and make sure that they are in control, which is mm. very hard for a blockchain system. And that's why it might be very difficult for, you know, for actual, actual governments to actually implement this technology. Well, when we jump into the crypto market, this is, this is the blockchain is like the biggest application right now. You know, despite us having and seeing a lot mm-hmm. of market capitalization of, you know, cryptocurrencies like the Bitcoin, we still see that it is very hard to regulate these currencies. Mm-hmm. Well, there are, of course, different disadvantages of not being able to regulate currencies. Well, one being you can easily pay for an illegal transaction mm-hmm. without actually the government or law enforcement knowing Any, what knowing what yeah. transaction <clears throat> was. And this is something that most governments are very scared of, because if we can, if I can conduct a deal where I pay you a million dollars, you know, or I pay you two million dollars for you to assassinate someone without necessarily seeing any legal, you know, mm. regulations in that, then all of a sudden it becomes a state where the law, the, the coin or the cryptocurrency goes above the law. And that's why it might be very hard for governments to actually implement that. And the next question, the other big issue, you know, mm-hmm. is the volatility of the coin, these coins. Mm. You see, bitcoins can increase to a value of more than a thousand within a day and sometimes even decrease with the same value. And most of the people who actually don't understand what affects it are very skeptical because you mm. could be a thousand dollars richer today and a thousand dollars poorer tomorrow, tomorrow yeah. right? Which is something that very most people are very skeptical of, and most people have you know been branding Bitcoin as a scam because you know people just don't understand how a coin can move from a thousand to twenty thousand and then go back. But then remember, this is a market of demand and supply that is operating. So most people are not very aware of exactly how this market works. And they are very skeptical in investing in these coins because of the volatility that happens. Mm. So it might take uh, years of trying to explain to people, you know, trying to explain to them that, you know, the Bitcoin, Bitcoin currency is very much similar like the paper currency. The difference mm. is it operates in the same, same, you know, realm of uh, demand and supply the difference is there are less regulations being put right now mm. so yeah I, i've heard of companies trying to come up with coins that are more you know that are, that are less volatile and they have more regulations mm. if we can find if governments can find or if the bitcoin community can find a way in which this coin can easily be regulated i guess most people are more likely to find it you know more familiar or easily you know easy easy to use it because first and foremost it's not that volatile mm-hmm. and secondly there are legal restrictions that you know that apply to the actual coin. Yeah, no, I think I'd like to I'd like to make perhaps um, I wouldn't even say a prediction, but just based on what I've seen, uh, I'd like to just formulate a hypothesis, right? Within the next 10, 20, or even 30 years, we're gonna see that um, <clears throat> cryptocurrencies are going to become a household name, and it's going to be how we're paying our bills, right? The question becomes much like when um, when credit cards were first brought yeah. into to the market becomes how do you regulate what's going on? And the main thing that's scaring government is that there's no central authority that this transaction has to go through. And um, that becomes a problem one for security. And then the second one is also you can't really tax that money unless you tell someone you have to pay a transaction fee before you make the transaction, right? Which could be a huge disincentive for investors, for example. But it's also very good at the same time yeah. for black market yeah. traders. So I mean, uh, Gibson, just take us through. If you were, if you are a lawmaker today, like what would you? What kinds of regulations would you make? 
that could possibly allow it to be taxed? Is, it, is this something we can tax in the future when it comes to cryptocurrencies? Are we going to start seeing cryptocurrencies becoming more stable? What regulations do you think that there need to be in place um, for this to be something that's viable? Yeah, that's a very good question because <laughs> right now I don't even think there's a specific government that has found a way in which they can actually regulate uh, cryptocurrencies like the Bitcoin. Um, that is because it's very hard. We're talking of mm. open source software. This is software that is used by someone who's somewhere in Austria who can transfer money to someone who's in Australia without any of the Austrian government knowing or the Australian government knowing where the transaction happened. And all these transactions are verified by millions of users who, mm. you know, who are mining, you know, the concept of uh, providing your computation power by mining and validating transactions. Mm. So these are people who validate these transactions. So while the transaction can probably be seen, it's actually in the Bitcoin, but you may not be able to see what the actual transaction is. So I would say in terms of uh, regulators trying to uh, trying to actually put any legal restrictions to this, it might become very hard. They just have to come up with a way in which they, they have to try and figure out a way in which they'll do that. Uh, I don't think personally, uh, I mean, I would say that the, trying to regulate Bitcoin from a centralized institution beats the purpose of why it was you know, invented in the first place. Because mm. it was invented to allow multiple parties to validate these transactions. But if one specific central body can easily regulate it, right? Which is what happens with uh, other coins, paper money, like the dollars, you know, and different mm. coins. Um, then all of a sudden it loses the actual aspect of it, of decentralization. Because if one body can regulate it, then, you know, that one body becomes a central body. But then it's built under a technology that, you know, the underlying technology is a decentralized technology. So um, mm. I don't know whether I would want to, uh, I would want to regulate it. Mm -hmm. um, I would just let it operate, uh, but then mm -hmm. there's always going to be the fear of how do you tax the money, as you said. Mm. How do you get the transactions, you know, when the transaction happens? How do you know whether this is a legit transaction, is it a legal transaction? Is this, you know, a, mm -hmm. a black trade transaction? That's, that's a big issue that people still yeah. have to try and figure <clears throat> out. And yeah, no, I don't know how factual the story I'm about to tell will be, but we're just going to assume it's true because it's, it's a reality, like it's happened somewhere but the characters might obviously not be the same. So I do have a friend who has another friend who is in cryptocurrency trading. And there's a lot of people that have actually made quite a lot of money. Yeah. Like obviously the first few investors in yeah. Bitcoin right now are in their millionaires and yeah. some even billionaires, yeah, multi-millionaires, right? So <clears throat> what you're going to find is that when a, a lot of people, let's say there's like 50,000 coins in the system, yeah. right? Let's say someone owns 25,000. Right. Here's the difference between the stock market and when you're trading Bitcoin is that in the stock market, you can't do something like that's that's called insider trading. Mm -hmm. Well, let's say, you know, that this company, which is the majority shareholder, is about to make a decision that's going to make the yeah. stock market price go up. Right. If you if you invest with that knowledge, that's called insider trading and it's illegal. Right. But these guys in Bitcoin, right, who are investing in Bitcoin and Ethereum and all these other coins, there's some coins that have just come up. They're being created every single day. So they took all the coins, they had owned almost, I don't know, 60% of them. And then they had made some sort of announcement that this was going to happen. And they had tricked people into making the prices go really, really low. They bought the rest of the coinage and then they made the prices go up. So then now then they sold the coins and they were rich. And then the other guys who lost that money became poor. So it becomes, <laughs> I mean, that's one of the downsides when you come to not regulating yeah. you know, cryptocurrencies. And actually... Um, I was going to ask you about how it's relevant, of course, to the African continent, but you've been telling me the story of BitPesa. Just tell us a bit about BitPesa. What was that about? Yeah, yeah I, think, um, I think BitPesa, uh, I don't know whether they still operate right now, but uh, they are, they're supposed to be a company that uh, enabled people to, um, to exchange Bitcoins to M-Pesa. I really uh. don't know whether that still actually uh, operates in Kenya, mm -hmm. but uh, that ideally meant that you know, Bitcoin interaction with the local technologies like uh, M-Pesa, uh, mm -hmm. being able to transact in Kenya I don't think I, I don't think they still operate I think uh, the central I'm not sure I don't know I don't know the, uh, uh -huh. the, the political <coughs> aspect of it but I think they were shut down I'm not very mm. sure but uh, that that just basically shows that you know the regulation aspect of how can you know you know the actual central governments in uh, central banks in governments be able to regulate this because it's a big big issue you know because uh, if people all of a sudden are transacting in uh, maybe bitcoins in, in a country, and there's no specific regulations, then there's no way the government can tax those transactions, right? Mm. And I'm guessing, 
you know, most governments would not want to be able to, they want to be able to control every single transaction that's happening. So I would yeah. say, I would say that that's, that's why, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies being adapted on the African continent may be hard, not unless mm-hmm. regulators figure a way in which they can actually regulate this by mm-hmm. maybe working with local currencies, uh, also working with uh, local virtual, uh, you know, currencies like M-Pesa or, you know, such things. If mm-hmm. they can find a way to do that, then all of a sudden it becomes easier to regulate this coin. And if it's easy to regulate the coin and tax it, then, you know, there's no, the, 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 local, the local government or the national government doesn't have a problem, you know, mm-hmm. with people being able to trade in these coins in a, in a country or in anything. So I would say that's still a big, big uh, problem right now. And as you say, there are so many, uh, there's so many uh, cases, as you said, where mm-hmm. you know these very smart people are able to buy coins and sell them. Because I mean, remember that these coins, most probably, the people who back them, most probably increases their valuation, right? If a very wealthy person backs a coin, mm-hmm. there's a very likely, a very high likelihood that people are going to invest in it, right? And mm-hmm. if they drop the coin, the value of the coin is likely going to, to decrease, right? Mm-hmm. So these very wealthy people are able to mostly kind of determine how the coin does, which then brings in the aspect of is this still a decentralized issue where we have, you know, the very wealthy controlling mm. how the coin does, you know, but the market of supply and demand work like that, you know, where if one person who is huge supports something and backs up something, other people are more likely to back it because they believe that there's a reason this person backs mm. it, you know, yeah. which, yeah, which, which is a big, big issue. But, I still believe that cryptocurrencies will be huge in the future. I'll tell you that. I think that the people who are working, you know, day in, day out to try and find a way in which we can come up with currencies, you know, that can easily be regulated, but still operates under the realm of decentralization. And if the such currencies can exist, you know, um, national governments, uh, you know, in different countries are more likely to be more acceptable to this because, you know, they're able to control the transactions and the activities that are happening in, around these cryptocurrencies which I think would be a good thing. But mm-hmm. cryptocurrencies are more likely to be huge, huge. You know, it's going to be a household name come 10 or 15 years from now. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think <clears throat> obviously central banks are going to face a huge problem with it. I, I think I remember reading an article somewhere about the idea of cryptocurrency trading <clears throat> being taken being taken to the central bank of Kenya. And some people were just generally opposed to it, mainly because of the fact that it was not it was out of control right so <clears throat> i mean just explain help us explain um why for example uh something like bitcoin <clears throat> which is what's the current value of bitcoin right now uh, the current market valuation around 147 billion dollars yeah so like that's a lot of money that's already in that system yeah. right? and <clears throat> how often i mean what's the current price of one bitcoin for example uh, in the morning today was uh, 8100 around 8100 but again, it could change at any time. It could potentially right? change any time. <clears throat> Why is that? Um, well, because there are so many things that affect this coin. Mm-hmm. A specific news of, I don't know, a country adapting it is more likely to increase it. Mm-hmm. And a specific news of a country banning it is more likely to decrease it, right? Mm-hmm. And there are so many other reasons, right? If these rich people are cashing out, Bitcoin is going to reduce, you know? And if mm-hmm. more people are buying the coins, you know, it still operates under the market of demand and supply, right? But the news really affected because a lot of people around the world are very skeptical about mm-hmm. this. And, you know, the people, and the more people accept it, the more the value goes up. But then mm-hmm. you have to appreciate the fact that this is a coin that is very expensive. I don't even mm-hmm. think there's a coin that is as high as Bitcoin. You know, yeah. we even saw sometimes uh, two years ago, I think a year or two years ago, where Bitcoin gets to $20,000, yeah. right? Which is the highest, you know, I think any coin has ever gotten. And there are people still mm-hmm. predicting that is likely to happen. And, and you see, these things where a coin can actually rise up and go down, these are what people are very scared of, the volatility of it. Because, you know, if we accept Bitcoin payment in a supermarket or in a mm-hmm. school for the payment of fees, you know, I could pay you a specific number of Bitcoins today. And by evening, that money has reduced by reduced half. Reduced by the value, yeah. You know, and that is something, you know, that is something that paper money offers assurance that mm-hmm. Bitcoin is not able to offer now because of, you know, because of the, the volatility of it. And this is something that other people are very, very skeptical of. Because mm-hmm. a coin that goes up very high also goes down very, you know, and you can lose value. You can literally not you know not have any money mm-hmm. but just putting your money in a crypto that fails so this is something that i would say that even the government would be scared of um having maybe donations in bitcoins which then decreases <laughs> in value yeah. significantly yeah. then all of a sudden the value drops but if we could have a coin that is more stable 
you know, a coin that maybe decreases mm-hmm. by one or two dollars and increases, you know, this is what, you know, the forex market works. That is how the dollar, mm-hmm. you know, the Kenyan shilling and different coins, uh, different currencies actually do. They, they are, they're kind of stable, you know, maybe mm-hmm. because of different things like inflation, the coins may sometimes be volatile, but not as volatile as we see in Bitcoin. Yeah. You know, the other thing is Bitcoin does affect the price of other cryptocurrencies, you know, mm-hmm. if Bitcoin decreases significantly, you see the prices of currencies such as Ethereum or Bitcoin Cash, which are probably in terms of the highest, the next in terms of the price, mm-hmm. you see them decreasing, you know, and if someone has invested in Ethereum, they have to make sure they track news on Bitcoin, because mm-hmm. Bitcoin is going to affect how people, how the value of Ethereum does, you know. And this is just something, this is just one of the few things that a lot of people are very skeptical about. And I'd say that that is things that people have to find out and figure out how this is actually going to happen. But then it goes back to the point that being able to, having a central body that controls mm-hmm. it, will probably beat the point of why the technology was invested in it was invented in the past case. So it's a bit of a paradox. Would it's you agree? a bit of a paradox. Yeah. Yeah. And um, just finally, before we move on to Bitcoin, I mean, from Bitcoin, um, I just want to ask the question Then, in that case, if it's so volatile and there's so much happening, yeah. right? Uh, my two questions, right? What is Bitcoin currently used for? And the second one, right? Um, why do we see bitcoin atms and like you know i've seen one in i walked i've, I've had the privilege of traveling and schooling mm-hmm. in south africa so i've gone to santon mall right yeah. and that was was that one of the first um probably uh, south africa i think is huge on cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. i know of, i know of a number of companies i don't know the name i, I don't know that's you know who, who are doing huge in cryptocurrencies i think mm-hmm. south africa is more accepting as a government to you mm-hmm. know cryptos and more other advancing technology so yeah you will see bitcoin atms there i think in the us you would probably definitely see bitcoin yeah ATMs. bitcoin atms yeah where people can so, actually exchange you know a bitcoin to actual cash you know mm. these are because you see bitcoin can be used for many things right but the biggest advantage that they offer you know is you able to transact huge amounts of money they're actually, you know, having to go through a huge, you know, number of litigations and, you know, regulations. And also, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of banks, you know, they charge high charges and high commissions when you make a transaction. If I was to be sending you a million dollars, if I was that rich, right? <laughs> yeah, I would probably have to pay up to maybe, I don't know, 7 to 10% of commission, right? Yeah. Based on what I'm doing, and which also is like a lot of money. International taxes. Yeah, which is yeah. a lot of money. And also, the money is not going to get to you directly. The money mm. will have to go, you know, do, do different channels. It takes many months. It, it may take even a month people, for me to be able to do that. In Bitcoin, I'm probably not going to be charged anything. And it's going to take 10 minutes, you know. Mm. What is the option I'm going to go with? I'm obviously going to go with the faster and cheaper option, you know. And mm. if I can send you the Bitcoins and you can withdraw them at the same value, you know, it's just more convenient for you. You get the point? Mm. So yeah, of course, there's always going to be scenarios where there are coins that are not used for legal, um, they're not really used for legal transactions, which is obviously the same case that when it, ha- which I would say the, 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 is a disadvantage for not being able to put regulations on it. But it's also a huge advantage to a lot of people who are transacting. And that's why you see we have, you know, millions of millions of transactions happening every second, mm. you know, on the Bitcoin blockchain. Because a lot of people are trusting that first and foremost, this is a very secure platform to transact. It's a very convenient platform to transact, you know. And this is this is something that a lot of people who know more about the technology behind it actually trust, you know. And I would say that's why Bitcoin has been adapted. And that's why you see Bitcoin with a huge, huge market capitalization. <clears throat> I guess, yeah, no, that's, that's something that's very, very impressive, but it's also a bit worrying because yeah. for those who don't know, Bitcoin is the main yeah. currency for the black market. So if you hear about, you know, um, for example, the drug dealers being able to transfer money for drugs, most of this actually happens through Bitcoins. And I don't have the exact number uh, of like a million dollars uh, that have yeah. been put into uh, Bitcoin through illegal stuff because you can't even track yeah, where, it comes, where it comes from. So, yeah. I mean, that just already shows how powerful it is. And then that brings up the next question, I guess, because we have a silicon savanna here in Africa, yeah. right? Um, and that's usually like Kenya, you find maybe Rwanda, yeah. maybe a bit of South Africa yeah. there. But there's definitely a lot of upcoming developers, right? And like for the first, so the second last half of the podcast, I want us to, to ask ourselves the question of how a business is going to prepare for this new tech revolution because people think that it's over that oh social media was the cap oh google home was the cap yeah mpesa was the cap but as we're starting to see things like you know cryptocurrencies are coming through yeah artificial intelligence is coming through yeah. voice commands like you know machines yeah. like alexa 
and I've also mentioned Google Home at just the start, right? Yeah. Google is coming up with a second iteration of Google Glass, which basically, for those who don't know what augmented reality is, is basically the the artificial intelligence is gonna read, yeah. the, is gonna be taking pictures of, let's say, I'm wearing glasses right now, right? I'm gonna, it's gonna be taking pictures of where I'm looking at, and then it's gonna use that information to guide me through the streets of Nairobi to see where I want to go yeah, next. Good, yeah. So how, it's, it's overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's huge, I would say that yeah. technology is, you know, it's, it's funny that a few years ago, um, I think my principal uh, back in Alliance High School once told me that, well, actually made a statement, we were in assembly and he said, you know, that in the next uh, few years, the most paying jobs have not yet been created, you know, they mm. haven't yet been created. And that is something that is very true right now, you know. Uh, initially, when you thought about housing or when you thought about transport, you know, things like Uber and Airbnb would not have been imagined 10 years ago mm. or 20 years ago, right? And these are companies that just came in and grew up within a very short period of time and came up with amazing technologies, mm. you know, and they became competitive all around the world, you know. And I would say that that is something that is scary especially for local businesses, which uh, have been relying on the same technology since times immemorial, you know, they have always mm. been relying in using the same, same technology, right? And it's, it's just been, it's just a, a something that people have not been thinking about. Well, the developing, the developed world, uh, of course, things like uh, places like in America, these are technologies they, they see on a day-to-day basis. Mm. However, on the African continent, we don't have, you know, we don't have the privilege of being able to see, you know, these technologies in action, of course, because mm-hmm. first and foremost, they have more developed systems, you know, and mm. for that reason, they are able to easily develop into that. But however, we're still seeing these amazing and big companies still moving to the African continent and being able to tap into this market and making huge, huge sums of money. The mm. question is, what that does mean? What does that mean for local companies? You know, for a mm. company that is doing transportation, if Uber comes in, you know, and takes all almost all their market, then this company is gonna be thrown out, mm. you know. For mm. company or for restaurants that you know, oh no, sorry, for hotels that have been offering accommodation for all their lives, that's the only thing they've mm. been doing. All of a sudden, Airbnb comes in, adapted by the market, and then what happens to this? They lose business, you know. Mm. And this is something that people have not been preparing for, because when you think of technology and advancements, you think of it from a more developed countries you know mm. you know you think of it from a more like oh america has, is doing this but these companies now are moving into the african continent and actually tapping into this market and using the already existing technology and already working technology to tap into the market the local industries are mostly affected mm. and that begs the question of why what should they do and i personally think that they should be able to adapt these technologies if not they should build their own technologies you know mm. the african continent currently i think kenya is a huge part um so for those who don't know um there's a platform called github which is basically uh, a platform where most developers upload uh, upload their projects and africa is doing huge on github a lot of companies uh, a lot of countries for instance kenya have has like a huge number of growing developers out there who mm. are actually developing you know both apps developing websites developing you know ai technology you know because all Mm. this information is actually online you know and i would say that companies local companies should be tapping on this talent you Mm. know this talent of being able to develop things that can actually match what these international companies are actually bringing you know because you know most of these international companies were think global Sometimes they are able to act local, but they don't necessarily, you know, satisfy all the needs of the local people. But these local companies actually understand the need of the local people and they can utilize the skills they have to build technologies that actually meet, you know, local people, things like M-Pesa, you know. Mm. That technology has worked hugely in Kenya. It is now being adapted in other countries, right? And this is a technology that was developed locally. And I would say this is something that local companies should be utilizing on the African continent, you know. There's a huge level of information out there. There's a huge number of growing developers that are actually coming out, you know, in these companies, in these countries. And if these local companies can utilize this skill, you know, to build technologies that can easily match and easily compete with what these international companies are offering, then all of a sudden you're not going to be kicked out of business. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's really important. And a lot of people see it as a disadvantage that Africa hasn't yet. And I'm speaking yeah. in broad terms because... Um, over six, like, like I'm not sure the exact numbers, but a large amount of our population as a continent doesn't have access to even something yeah. like electricity, right? But I want people to see it as a bit of an advantage, especially if you're a, a developer, right? Yeah. The fact that we're behind allows us to have control of our growth, exactly. right? And if you're a developer, I would recommend, right, 
a lot of people think that it is going to be okay you know you're a starving developer yeah. but i've talked to gibson and that's not exactly true right the whole point is you're a scarce resource especially you know you're bringing new technology that might have huge yeah. huge huge positive effects yeah. for big companies that are willing to pay well and give you the value um um I'd say like, they even pay even more than what a western company would pay yeah. for a certain piece of software that is normal over there right yeah. the whole point is that you're bringing scarcity something that's like really scarce as a product to the continent it's yeah. of high value yeah. and you can be able to sell that yeah, right so i think it's a it's a we need to look at this point of view as as a bit of a strength yeah so we need to definitely start adapting for that and another thing i'll start saying is that the the system of education that we've prescribed for a lot of people nowadays where someone goes to high school then they go to university then after that it's you know you go on with your life maybe you might get yeah. a masters then a doctorate it's starting to become very archaic it's starting to become very outdated that is true right because the world is moving faster than the what they're giving system. yeah than the educational system yeah. so you, literally people who are studying technology majors are, are there's no way, I, i'm not sure where exactly i got the statistic from but um i believe that for example if you were in school let's say in 2007 right and let's say you were studying a computer science course i was four years um four years you standard degree you come out with yeah. a degree who would have predicted that blockchain would have come out in 2008 right <laughs> and then now you 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 come in and you're like every other developer yeah. right uh, and this is why i say sometimes even experience in that in the aspect of technology is more valuable than the degree itself yeah. that is that what, is what do you true. think it's yeah mm. that's actually funny i think um i don't know that it's tim cook who said that or it's uh, elon musk i'm not sure but I, one of them quoted how uh for software developers you don't need a four-year degree in a school for you to actually mm. code you know you don't need a four-year degree to code which is very true when you look up uh, when you look at websites like uh, udemy right now they're offering mm. courses you know when you when you go to the stanford website you would be surprised because you see almost every single course out there you know and i i will say that for someone who's developing or someone who's coding you know most of your information is actually not gotten from the actual institution most of it is gotten online you know the online mm. development co- community is very supportive you know there are you know websites like stack overflow as as i said udemy where you can actually get courses for as low as 10 dollars a whole course that can actually take you through you know information that it would take you what you would say four years in school mm. to actually understand you know uh, i remember after after i think i was back in south africa i took a, a data science course from udemy and the course was close to 200 videos you know and mm-hmm. it really covered the integrities of data science huge huge integrities and i remember doing the course for maybe three or four weeks you know and this is the same course that you will find a lot of people are probably doing that and taking a lot of time you know and yet there is these cheap courses online that can actually teach you all that so for these software developers you're likely to take a less time just taking online classes and the other thing is most of these things you actually learn by doing it because some of these technologies become deprecated and others are actually updated as a ver- at a very very fast rate as you had that right mm-hmm. and this is because one of the reasons you'd see this is because technology moves faster than the kind of education that we actually you know that we actually mm. going through and that's a thing that is a common thing so i would say well you you still might need a huge advances in school because you know school may give you the context but for someone who really wants to code they don't necessarily need to actually go to school this is yeah. something you'll find online a lot of online yeah. classes for that I definitely agree and Veronica Davis actually just commented it was Elon Musk that said that thank you for being the first person this year to comment or at least for this whole two seasons to comment by the way there is a comment section below guys it's a really deep conversation that we're having over here and we don't want it just to be to be between me and Gibson you guys are more than welcome you know you're part of the Pariah family so please be sure to ask any questions you know um or challenge any ideas it's a idea sharing yeah. space so yeah, yeah without further ado let's get back into the discussion and feel free to comment guys and thank you again for tuning in but yeah i'll add my two cents in here right especially when it comes to um when it comes to a world that's so fast moving i'd say when it comes to industries that are also moving fast people are looking for um transferable skills right uh, so you might go to university sure guys but it's not going to prepare you for the world because you, you know the thing is in the university you're learning through books in the world you're learning through experience and i'll give one amazing example of someone who took a very 
old-fashioned career and I guarantee you in the next 10 years, she's going to be one of the most important lawyers in the UK and will be possibly even challenging one of the biggest law firms, you know, Clifford Chance, Allen and Overy, like all of these different um, big law firms are going to be challenged by this idea that she brought forward. So um, I can't really quite remember her name, but she's a Nigerian uh, and also she's also she was born in Britain, though. Right. And she studied. Um, she went to, I believe it was Cambridge Law School, came out and she was working at Clifford Chance, which is one of the most successful law firms in the world. It's a historical law firm. It's been there for I don't know how many. Um, it's probably almost even more than a century now. So they're just like, OK, you know what? This is a normal job and I'm not a normal person. So she left a dream job paying a lot of money and people are like, you're crazy. But you do not believe what she went into. She went into artificial intelligence, legal consulting, right? Because, you know, the law has to catch up with all of this technology and you'd not believe who her first client was. Microsoft. Whoa. Right? That's huge. And the whole point is this girl is 23 years old or something, right? You know, like the thing is you, you get into such an industry, like guys, the sky is generally the limit. Like don't be afraid to have those ideas that'll possibly be seen as, you know, oh, that's stupid. It's not going to work. I'm telling people are actually hating on cryptocurrency right now, but a decade from now, it yeah. might actually be something that we're using. Yeah, it's funny you're yeah. saying that because I would say that the best example you can use this, and most people have been using this as an example, you know, it's an Airbnb example, right? Mm. Um, before Airbnb was, you know, widely adapted, the, the biggest fear that most people had is, how am I going to have a stranger come to my house, use my house, possibly when I'm not there, or maybe if I'm there, right? And just mm-hmm. use my house, something that I've built, you know, are they going to steal something, you know? Are people, you know, are people, is, are they going to, you know, do something to my house? And mm-hmm. this is something that most people were very scared of. And they were like, there's no way the Airbnb model is going to work. There's no way they're going to be supported, right? I've heard uh, from different sources that they pitched, I don't know, up to 200 times, trying to explain to people that me, this may actually work. But there was always that fear, you know, there was always that fear behind their mind, which is something that people are not comfortable with. Mm. But then look at now, you know, a few years after, People are actually listing their houses on Airbnb and complete strangers are coming in. We are looking Mm. at a complete transformation of a mindset. And that Mm. is what technology is offering. In the near future, there's a lot of these skeptical technologies that people find, you know, very, very skeptical to even implement that they are going to transform a whole mindset, you know, a complete mindset transformation, you know. Even when Uber came to Kenya, a lot of people were very skeptical because, you know, public transportation is cheap, mm. you know, I'll pay 30 shillings, you know, which is a yeah. rent of 0.3 cents in dollars, yeah, dollars yeah. you know. <laughs> Why would I pay Uber, which is 100 Kenya shillings, you know. But then Uber offers you security and mm. people just, this is a complete transformation of a mindset. And I would say with the same thing with cryptocurrencies, there's a huge, huge transformation of mindset that will be needed, of course. But once it is achieved, all of a sudden it becomes a household name. You will never look back to a time when cryptocurrency was not a thing. Mm. Now, when you think of the internet, how can you possibly imagine a time when the internet was not even there? You know, it doesn't mm. even make sense how the world would exist at that time. And that is exactly what happens when a new technology comes in. A lot of skeptical people think about, you know, this is not going to succeed. But then after the mindset is transformed, you cannot imagine at a time when this is something that was actually not there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's, it's a changing world, guys. And if you're not someone in the next two decades who can easily adapt and uh, not say that, oh, this is something for the youth. By the way, anyone who's listening, whether you're young or you're old, right, you can play a part in the game, right? The whole point is just you need to be adapting to it. If you see that there's a new change, like people were hating on TikTok, but now it's the most downloaded yeah. app on the App Store. <laughs> Would you believe that now it, it went from zero to 300 million users? Oh, 500 million. Yeah, that's, over that's 500 huge. million that's users huge. in less than like one or two years, one or two years, right? Yeah. It's like between one and two years, right? But guys, honestly, people are underestimating things that are new. Be ready to say yes to most things because you never know when you yeah. could actually hit big yeah. and hit right, you yeah. know? Yeah, and you know, the early adopters always make the most money. <laughs> it's the truth. Yeah. It's the truth. Like, I always refer to Gary Vaynerchuk because he was one of the first investors in Facebook, in Twitter. Unfortunately, he passed on Uber twice and he lost a record, yeah. possibly $800 million <laughs> if he was to buy the stocks that they were offering him. But Gary Vaynerchuk is one person, if you're interested, to follow, right? I give you a bit of um, 
uh, parental disclaimer, he does swear a lot. <laughs> but um, he, what he's, nevertheless, he's actually giving you a lot of value through his content. And he's just telling you about how the world's actually changing, where people will value convenience over anything else. That is true. I'll give one more example um, of one business model that is starting to hit markets. And if I'd known about this six years ago, I don't think I would have been in university by now. <laughs> but I'll, uh, people don't know what it's called, but it's basically dropshipping, right? So it's a way for you to sell things when you don't have inventory. You're basically a middleman, right? Or middlewoman, as we'll call it nowadays, right? Um, you'll find that um, someone else has inventory from a different, let's say, uh, Jumia or Amazon or something, right? So you'll buy it from Amazon for, let's say, $2, right? So you'll put it on a different site, your own site, right? Which is known as a store, right? Uh, there's different apps like Shopify, Oberlo that do this. And then you sell it through that store, you market it, making a profit of maybe, let's say, 6 $7, right? And then the guys from Amazon will ship it directly to your customer without you even touching that product, right? So we have people who are multi-millionaires, right? And you see them on TikTok. Some of them are real, some of them are fake. But we can, you can easily weed out which ones are fake, right? But the ones who are real, these are the guys who have managed to understand that system. And some of these guys have never even touched a product like that in their life. But when these holiday seasons start coming through, you start seeing people are buying all of these different things and they're shipping them in record time. That's, that's where you find a lot of these dropshippers in quotes are making money. So guys, before you say something's a scam, before you say something is not going to work, try it out for yourself and see what works for you. Yeah, that is very true. And as we move into the last section of the podcast, I mean, there's some people who might want to get into um, coding. There's some people that might, might want to be app developers and all that. So what would you recommend for those people? Yeah, I mean, I would say that, I would say that uh, most people are very scared when they see, you know, the red, the green, the code. Like, yeah. you know what, I don't know what you're doing right now, but, you know, you're making <laughs> some stuff. But it's actually not that hard, you know. You can literally go now, right now, to mm -hmm. YouTube. I'm sure everyone knows YouTube. For those who don't know, YouTube is <laughs> a place where you find a lot of videos. And you just need to be, you know, you can be like coding for, I don't know, for beginners, dummies yeah, or beginners, for dummies, you know. Yeah. And it gives you, you know, step-to-step -step analysis. I said there are courses on Udemy that have to... Ten dollars, you know, or sometimes even five dollars. They're actually often. offering, I think, some free courses. Yeah, right now. some free courses where you can get as much information as you want, and you just need to sit at home, you know, for two, three, four hours, and follow a tutorial, and then try and do what exactly that person is doing. If you do that ten times, you become a developer, and that's basically what most developers do. Most developers learn online. You know, they don't mm. really need to go to a school; they just learn online. When you encounter a problem, there's a website called Stack Overflow. Well, for those who don't know, what Stack Overflow is, it's more like a chat place where different developers around the world help each other to gain credits, uh, credits for uh, what you would call the, uh, I don't know the actual word for it, mm -hmm. but basically, uh, ideally right now you post a problem, the open source community, uh, they, they call open source uh, credits, and the, basically what happens is open source software is software that can easily be used by people. And right now, if I post a problem, developers are more likely to come and help me try and solve that problem because they gain credits for it. So any problem you have, I can tell you somewhere around the world, in any country, someone has faced that problem. And if you just go and paste that problem exactly as you find it, someone has probably faced it. If someone hasn't, someone will take your problem and actually fix it. Because you know, developers around the world help each other so much. Mm. And it's not that hard. Everyone out there is just trying to help you. So it's not that hard to start. So you can always start from YouTube. I'll always say, um, and of course with a lot of Kenyan yeah. pride, if the world record javelin thrower can learn how to throw a javelin, you know, off of YouTube, YouTube. I know, I know, <laughs> using I know. bundles, I know, compared to other people who have gone through training yeah. since they were kids to throw yeah. javelins. And then you're going into the, you know, you're just throwing whatever. Yeah. And this guy who learned off of YouTube, yeah. barely any coaching, comes into the world arena and beats you. Yeah. What is your excuse? That is true. That like, is what, true. what is your excuse? That is true. The knowledge is out there, right? And I always tell people this, right? A lot of people might spend their time, uh, like, you know, just in leisure, right? They might go out, have fun, and this and that. And they, there's also people that might watch TV and all that stuff. It's not a bad thing. But if that becomes 
you know, your whole life, you're going to be working a constant nine to five. Yeah. And it's not a bad thing. If you want to do that, and if let's say that's that makes your life fulfilling and you love it, go for it, guys. Yeah, that is true. But if you're someone who is not satisfied with that, and maybe you want a bit more, yeah. you maybe you want to be someone who will change things up, maybe you want to be someone who is an innovator, yeah. then you cannot afford to squander this opportunity. Yep. Right? Because it's not just about riches at this point. It's about opportunities to grow yourself as a human being. Yeah. Right? If you want to have a play in shaping the world in the next 10 years, you cannot afford to be off of things like social media, right? Yeah. And by that I mean business-wise. If you're a business, you're not on social media, you can forget about your relevance yeah. in the next 10, 20 years. <laughs> that is true. If you're not up to date with technology, guys, you, that's the end of yeah, your that business. That is the end of your business. Complete end of your business. No one is going to know you, you know. No one is going to no one is going to care cuz people are going to be on social media every single day. It defines them. And that's why companies like Facebook can easily take that data and create a profile of someone and mm. literally know what do you sell, right? And mm. if you do social marketing on Facebook right now, you are able to meet your exact customer. Mm. the perfect description of the customer you're looking for because Facebook can easily organize that data and give you that data you know as a business and you can easily market to those people so if mm. you expect to use you know the old methods and people are going to be moving away from these old methods mm. a lot of people have smartphones these days a lot of people are going to be oh, on WhatsApp Facebook you know TikTok and this is the where the market is hitting and companies are trying to market themselves there so if you just a small shop somewhere hoping that the future will work out for you well i'm sorry because it <laughs> might actually not yeah yeah and no, i think i mean honestly guys at this rate there's i, I can't remember the specific statistic right but basically what you'd find in a newspaper in the olden days is like literally like a miniature yeah. version like imagine like finding whatever's in a newspaper today compared to what was in a newspaper know. like you know back in the 1800s yeah, right yeah. nowadays there's so many different connections and even I'm a law student right now and I'm studying how the law had to change to incorporate um, a different legal rule for, for for those who don't know there was something called telex back in the day and you see the way we're talking about telex right now some people don't even know what it is i didn't even know what it is until i heard of it in class it was this weird machine where you'd press some buttons and it was almost like a telephone, but you could yeah. send coded messages, you could send contracts and stuff like that. Even faxing. People used to fax all the time. You'd send a, you know, you'd put yeah. a picture in, it comes out the other side, you ask for someone's fax number. Yeah. Nowadays, who uses fax? No one uses it. <laughs> right? And this was literally the other decade. Yeah. Right? It's like, I mean, we're in a new one, but that was like a decade yeah. before the last, yeah. right? Where fax was normal. So you're honestly finding situations whereby you guys need to educate yourselves right yeah hear about something new discover why and the one person i go to for this is obviously gary vaynerchuk like there's a lot of different articles out there yeah. but gary v seems to know a lot when it comes to business when it comes to marketing yeah what's hot and what's not yeah that's and, a, yeah, yeah i think that that's a huge thing uh, and i would say as i i think as i finish this section i would say that there's a very common saying that uh, i think you do political science which is like if you don't take interest in politics you know politics will take an interest exactly in and that might actually be the case with technology you yeah. might not take interest in technology and all of a sudden it takes interest in you so you should be very uh, careful with that as well yeah. yeah, I think just so we credit and we don't get copyright strikes, that, uh, what, what's his name, Trevor, Trevor, Trevor Luere. That was a Trevor right? saying That's uh, Trevor yeah. Luere, right? <laughs> when he becomes popular and famous yeah. or a political leader in Uganda, yeah. um, that, that quote belongs to him, right? Uh, but we just like to yeah, apply that to technology. It's the truth, guys, because whether you like it or not, right, I can find a profile about you, right, um, off of, literally, you might be on my yeah. podcast right now and you yeah. put your, your full name up as one of the listeners, right? Yeah. I can find you on Facebook right now, yeah. right? Through a Google search. Yep, digital and footprint. And there's so many things that you sign away in that contract. It's, it's such a long contract. It'll take you 74 yeah. working days to read it, <laughs> right? But there's things in that Facebook contract that you're essentially allowing them to make a profile about you, to use your personal information that you put on the site, to, to literally to target, yeah. um, uh, what's it called? To target you as a customer for someone else. Yeah. And you, a lot of people are like, oh my goodness, it's so scary, they're watching us. I searched, I searched a microphone on Google <laughs> and now it's turned up on my Instagram and Facebook. What do you think? Of course. It's I like, mean, what do you think? <laughs> who reads terms and conditions anyway? Who, re who reads so long? <laughs> yeah, don't complain because you didn't read. 
but that is definitely yeah. it's a term of the contract yeah. and unfortunately you can't get out of that exactly. so whether you like it or not technology is becoming something that is um that we're going to incorporate into our daily lives yeah. it is literally a part of almost every single um you know financial interaction nowadays and i guess that just comes down to you to to make the move any final closing words gibson um i just say the same thing i say if you don't take interest in technology technology will definitely take an interest in you so thank you so that. much gibson yeah. again for for coming through we highly appreciate your value this has been one of the most exciting podcasts we've definitely started the year off to a high i love you guys so much thank you so much for tuning in the podcast will be released if you missed a bit of it and i'll put it on to anchor and i'll post on all social media about it thank you so much much love peace and positivity happy new year